Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti and this is Yoga Land. Welcome back, Jason. Thanks for having me yet again. <laughs> yes, good to have you. We have a lot to cover in this episode. It's kind of a nuts and bolts episode. And but before we start, I want to make a couple of announcements. So the first is that you have a webinar coming up and it's all about yoga and even the deeper study of yoga and teacher and teacher training as self-transformation. Yes. So that's on August 31st and you can get the info for that and register for that webinar at jasonyoga.com slash webinar. And do you want to talk a little bit about our thinking behind this this webinar that we're doing? Yeah. Well, first, it's no secret that we have a 200-hour online training that we're launching it's starting this October. I taught it last year. I've taught in-person 200-hour trainings for many, many years. But I, I was kind of stepping back and thinking about this concept that really was first overtly written about in Yoga Journal by Joel Kramer, I think in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And the article was called Yoga as Self-Transformation. And mentally, I just go back to this article time and time again. And I, I think the reality is that at least 50% of people that do a foundational teacher training program do it just for themselves. They do it for the development of their own practice. They do it for their own personal inquiry and self-investigation, and they do it for their self-transformation. Mm -hmm. There's so many people that when they do a training, they don't initially think to themselves, I want to be a yoga teacher, mm -hmm. right? Or they it, think like, maybe, I was a maybe, totally. and I ended up being someone who did the training, taught part-time for a little while, realized that wasn't the right avenue for me to use my yoga knowledge, but it it did transform my whole life doing that training. It's yeah, not an overstatement. It's not an overstatement. And, and I think, you know, not to go too deep into this, but I think the reality is that the way that we learn yoga in a modern setting is not always structured or organized. You know, we just kind of go to classes or we take online classes or we do some sort of combination uh, which is really great. You know, it's, it's, these are ways to, to feel better and, and to be more embodied. But I think, I think so many of us become intrigued about a more formalized, structured learning protocol where we start to learn about all the other dimensions of the yoga practice. And we kind of want a curriculum to, to do this practice and to learn it in a more structured and cohesive way. Yeah. And that in and of itself is, is a really, it's a really big thing for so many students. So I thought as a webinar to launch off, uh, to kick this off, that this would be just a really good concept and process to work with. Yeah, yeah. And I should just also mention, we're going to have an early bird window for the, the training, for the 200-hour training, which starts October 24th. But if you sign up for the webinar, you'll also get an additional $50 off coupon. I just wanted to, to put that out there. And then... I'm trying to think. I want to get all of my little housekeeping done. I think that's it for now. That's our main focus. Yeah. And then this podcast is going to take it a step further. And we're going to talk through, if you're considering a teacher training, any kind of yoga teacher training, what are the vital things to look for? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we've got 
six things to tick through. Do we right? have six things? I feel like I added to it, but maybe there's just six. Oh, oh man, we've I got built eight it. things. Eight. <laughs> of course. You know, I don't reduce. I, I only know. increase. Okay, okay. I become okay. less concise over the years. I know, I know, just, I know. Just prattling about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very focused. You're all prepared yeah. for this one. So we're going to start with the concept of looking for safe, up-to-date asana practice. And so what does that mean to you? One of the things that we want to really strongly consider is this following reality. Yoga is really old. It's really, really old. I think we all know that. Um, but yoga postures are not. The vast majority of yoga postures that we're practicing are of the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. Most of them much more recent than that. And so the way that I see this is yoga postures are kind of like technology that in fact is not that old. And so we need to be open and amenable to continuing to evolve how we're doing the actual technical aspects of the asana practice. And I, I will say this is that some schools of yoga are very open to continuing to hone and refine their teaching of asana to learn not just from the asana traditions, but to learn from other movement traditions and to learn from doctors of sports medicine and contemporary training techniques. And so, but, but other schools are not. And so what I would say is as a, as a student that's really seeking out a training and you're wanting to take a lot of things further, but you want to take your own practice further, you want to make sure that you're not doing a training that just essentially focuses on memorizing what someone else said at an at like 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. You know, you you really want to be kind of understanding how the the asana practice is continuing to evolve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And continuing to make its refinements to become more safe and more informed. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so not it's not just about the, you know, teaching safe alignment, but it's also about like balanced sequencing for modern life. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think this is a big thing for me because I see how much in my own practice and teaching over the last 10 years, but especially over the last maybe six or seven years, how much my fundamental thinking about the asana practice has changed. And, and I, I just, for some reason, this, this, memory is, is coming up for me. In my trainings, I often like refer to a friend slash colleague of mine from over the years named Dr. Paul Roach, who's a shoulder surgeon. And Paul has been a shoulder surgeon for 30 years. And I asked him, this was, this was three years ago on retreat. I asked him, I said, Paul, how much of the surgery protocols that you're doing now are the same as what you learned in your schooling 30 years ago. Because I was really interested to, to kind of pick up on another profession and say, like, you've been doing this for 30 years. How much is the same? And he said, I would say only about 20% of what I learned in med school is still the way we do things now. Only 20%. And, and so this is, this is kind of the spirit of, I know that we like to think that yoga is really old, and it is. But just because a, a technique was memorized by someone doesn't necessarily make it still 
top of the line or effective. And so I think we want to make sure that we're studying these practices with people who are continuing to just to learn and grow and and to revise and be responsive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So really, this is, the second point is somewhat connected to the first, which is uh, looking for a training where your teacher or teachers have a deep and practical knowledge of yoga anatomy. Yeah. So... I would say this is not just tangentially connected. I would say this is immediately connected. And one of the things that I mean about practical knowledge of yoga anatomy is a couplefold. First, I I think we can't overlook the importance in modern training. We can't overlook the importance of having an emphasis on strength and stabilization first. And, and I would almost say this is a 180-degree pivot from how asana was always treated for a long period of time, which was more about length, more about range, more about space, more about passive flexibility, all of which are really good, valuable things for most people most times. I'm not throwing those things under the bus. We focus on those a ton. But what we also have to really be bringing to the equation is an understanding of maintaining the various types of strength and developing those types of strength as we age in our practice. And what I mean by that is it doesn't matter what age you are, but understanding that as you develop more range, as you develop more flexibility, as you grow in sort of postural competence, you want to be leading with the ability to be strong and stable in those positions. And so this is kind of a a modern understanding of yoga anatomy in how important functional movement and functional strength is. And when we understand this, then going back to the first point, safe and up-to-date asana practices, our asana practice starts to change because we start to, in our asana practice, focus less just on leverage and range and position and more on strength distribution of forces, sustainability, Mm -hmm. right? So the more we have an understanding of contemporary anatomy and functional anatomy, the more that's going to affect the skill set of our asana practice. Another thing that comes up for me about this one really quick is just understanding how important it is for for the person that teaches the anatomy in the training to have a very strong working knowledge of yoga itself and to be able to communicate anatomy in a practical, useful, immediately accessible manner. So this is what I so this is what I mean by this. A lot of times in trainings and sometimes it's okay, but a lot of times in trainings what's going to happen is the anatomy is going to be outsourced to a physical therapist, to a chiropractor, to a local PT. And and the anatomy they teach may be really, really good. And sometimes it really works. And if that person is an avid yoga practitioner and can, can bridge that gap, it's fine. It can work really nicely. But if that person doesn't have an avid yoga practice and doesn't really understand the anatomical implications for a modern asana practice, then you're going to learn a lot of anatomy, but it's not going to necessarily cross over and connect to the kind of practices that you're using. So anatomy, think about this, everybody. 
we should really be learning in context. So the, the context in which you're learning anatomy is asana. And so you have to really be working with a professional that can, that can bridge those gaps. Yeah. Right. Or that, or that just sits in that place. Yeah. Yeah. And so what if it's not clear who's teaching the anatomy portion or? I think you can check in. I think it's, you know, uh, we're going to talk about faculty in a moment because this is, this is one of the, this is one of like the, the checklist items. But every yoga course, if it's an ensemble teaching faculty, if it's taught by more than one person, um, before you register, you should be able to know who all of those people are. Okay. Right. And so you just you would just check in. And and what I would say is if the ensemble course doesn't know who that teacher is gonna be, it could still be great, but that's where I would have a first reservation. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is you're gonna learn so much in a good training, you're gonna learn so much more about yoga other than asana. And it's so important that we go beyond asana. But the thing that you're gonna spend the most amount of your time teaching is asana. Mm-hmm. And what, what informs the, the modern, sustainable, sensible parameters of asana is an understanding of anatomy. And so having this link is really, really key. Right. Well, let's talk about teaching the parts beyond asana. What yeah. do you want to look for for that? So a teacher that really understands the foundational texts of yoga I feel like this is something, even if you have a yoga teacher that's pretty good at spelling out the connection between philosophy and yoga asana practice. So for example, if you have a teacher that at the beginning of class, you know, regularly opens up and talks a little bit about abhyasa and vairagya or ahimsa, and and they kind of give you a little opening conversation about yoga philosophy, and then they weave that narrative through. Maybe they tell some some stories about deities or teachings. Even if you have that kind of teacher, the vast majority of what you are going to be doing in a modern yoga class is yoga postures and breathing. And so I think all of us have this sense of, oh, there's more here. There's more philosophy. There's so much more beyond the veil. And when we're talking earlier about yoga as transformation, I think this is one of the main reasons people do foundational trainings is they want to learn this stuff. And so what this is going to require, I'm bringing this up because so many people want to learn more about yoga philosophy. And so I think we really want, in my opinion, to have a teacher that's that's really well-educated and can articulate a lot about the foundational texts like the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, the Yoga Sutra attributed to Patanjali. And I'm, I'm going to throw this out, which is last week, I, I just put out to Instagram, hey, everyone that's done a 200-hour training, what's one thing that you would improve on in terms of the training that 200-hour training you received? And by far, the two comments that I got most were number one, better functional yoga anatomy, which we just talked about. And number two, which I was actually a little bit surprised with, was more historical contextualization and better communication about yoga philosophy. 
And I, and I will just say this as someone that, like, I love teaching the yoga philosophy. As a yoga teacher, even if we're, even if we're well-educated, we, most of us don't spend as much time teaching yoga philosophy as we teach, spend teaching asana. So this is a real skill set to not only understand these texts and the historical contextualization, but to be able to organize them and, and kind of provide them to you in a way that, that you really feel like you're stepping into context and you really feel like you're stepping into tradition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also being able to, like you said, translate the tradition and then making it relevant for your life is, is helpful too. Yeah, there's yeah. a tiny bit more about this, which is I always feel to me like the most modern part of a training should be asana and anatomy. And the most traditional historical part should be the philosophical context of the yoga tradition. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. 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 Next we have, you wanted to talk about looking for a cohesive faculty. Yeah. This one is really, this one's really interesting, right? Because if you, let's say you go to Yoga Shala, Indianapolis. I hope that's not a real place. Um, I'm just kind of making it up. And if it is a real place, shout out to Yoga Shala, Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you guys are great. Right? Um, if you go to a, a yoga studio that is like a diverse eclectic studio, like the majority of them are, so meaning like this is not just a Ashtanga specific or Shivananda specific or Iyengar specific school. If you go to a place, Yoga Shala, Indianapolis, what you're going to experience when you're instructed, when you're getting instructions in triangle pose by the four different teachers you take, they're probably going to be four different sets of instructions. What you're going to experience when you have this teacher and that teacher, you're going to have one teacher that's like, you have to engage the glutes in your back bends or your back's going to explode. And then you're going to have another teacher the next day at the same place that's like, if you engage your glutes in your back bends, your back's going to explode. When we're taking information from a lot of different teachers, you're not, you're very rarely going to have a central narrative and you are going to have to be the person that fills in that gap. But, and I, and I think that's okay, but in a training, I do not think it is okay. Mm. In a training, it's too much to assimilate. What you have to understand as a training is you get so much. Like in a, I would say like even in a mildly decent 200 hour training, there's a lot of information. You have things about anatomy, sequencing, philosophy, history, communication, all, like sequencing, all of these things, right? And so what this is going to mean ultimately is that as the trainee, there's a lot of information to assimilate. And you don't want that information to lack cohesion. And I always feel like a 200-hour training should be led by fewer people that are on the same page as opposed to more people who are not. Mm -hmm. And again, it's it, I, I think later on down the road for advanced trainings and so forth, it's I feel the same way. But I think that in a more advanced training, you have the you might have the discernment and the background to be able to like deal with two different perspectives. But I just feel like in a foundational training, all of the teachers should be on the same page and the philosophy, the anatomy, the asana, the sequencing, like all these big buckets 
should be able to integrate and play well with each other. Or you're going to spend more time trying to figure out the the discordant nature of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. Practice teaching. So I would love to know, I mean, there most trainings that, you know, are in person, I would say do practice teaching for obvious reasons. But how do you facilitate practice teaching in the online world? Yeah, great question. So let, let's address both. I, I will start by saying it's way, it's much easier to do practice teaching online than it is in person. Hmm. And, and here's why. Space. So what, what's going to happen is, and, and literally, this, is, this has been the case. I have over 20 years of experience with this. What happens when you do peer teaching in a teacher training program is you need to be broken into small groups. And what that's going to mean is you're going to have like four groups of four people. I'm just going to throw that out there. You have four groups of four people and they're in different parts of the room. And when you have that, it becomes really chaotic really quickly. You have you know, you have one person in each of the groups teaching simultaneously. So there's four sets of voices that are happening in the room. People often don't have the space to do this kind of thing. So it's kind of chaotic. It's even more uncomfortable than it needs to be. The other choice in person is that you don't break up into small groups, which is a really bad idea for a dozen reasons. But part of the reason it's a bad idea is you just can't get the amount of repetition that's required. So let's say that let's say there's 16 people in your training, right? It's just making up a, a random number. If you're in a small group of four people, you're going to get many more repetitions. You're going to get four times the repetitions. Yeah. If you're teaching, if you're one person teaching in front of 15 other people, then you're going to get a quarter of the repetitions and four times the stress. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I taught for probably 30 seconds. Yeah, so, so you training. can't do this. This, is, this never works. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And the, the gap between the gap between being a student and a teacher is actually way bigger than anyone actually thinks it is. Yeah. And, and just like as an aside, because I want to stay on this, but like usually when we don't know much about something, we think it's kind of easy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or at least I do, right? Yeah. People like, don't understand the nuance to most things. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I drive around the neighborhood and I'm like, oh, look at all those pretty rose bushes. This would be easy. <laughs> and I try to do it. It's hard, uh-huh. right? As a yoga student, like you're taking classes and you're probably taking classes with good teachers. And so naturally, like a good teacher makes this stuff look easy, but it's not. And you're going to be a deer in the headlights. And so you need a lot of repetition. You don't need 30 seconds. So for me, what I do kind of going back to doing this online, you do it in Zoom breakout rooms, right? You do it in these structured rooms. And so you don't have an issue of space. You really can be in a small group. You can get to know your peers. And then the other thing is, um, for me, the way that I do it, and again, I'm, I'm trying not to make all these just about the way I do things, but the way that I do this is everyone teaches pretty much every session, but in a very structured way for a short period of time. Mm. And, and so, for example, I will have people 
I'm just going to kind of throw this out on day one, and this is going to intimidate some people, but it's the way you have to have education. On day one, I'm going to teach you exactly what to teach in a half sun salutation. And I'm not going to ask you to say more than a couple words. I'm going to say, here's what I just want you to get a practice saying out loud. <laughs> and then everyone goes into a small group and they just teach two, mm-hmm. two half sun salutations. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's this. So like, it's the, it's the, it's the very structured repetition over time mm-hmm. um, that is really, really important so that by the end of the training, you, you've, you've worked out a lot of those kinks and at very least, you've started to figure out where the challenge is. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to figure out, you don't want to tr- start figuring out that teaching yoga is difficult and weird after the training. You, you gotta, you have to start to like deal with that right away. <laughs> and the, the last part that I want to stay on this, cause I don't want to linger on this too long. I think that when we, when we become students of yoga, when we start taking yoga class, I think we're, we're all used to the reality that like, oh, stuff, stuff on the inside really comes up. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you, when you're practicing yoga, your stuff shows up. When you start to teach yoga, a lot more of your stuff shows up. And so when we think about yoga as personal transformation, it's in part this stepping into the context and role. Even if you never want to teach, if someone's like, hey, I want to do your course, but I never want to teach. I'm like, okay, you 100%, you have my blessing, you don't ever have to teach. But during the time in this course, you have to pretend that you are. Like you have to put your, you have to immerse yourself in this. So you actually get a real feel for what this is like, uh, man. And it is amazing to watch h- how fast people develop as yoga teachers when they're given the right amount of support and the right consistency. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay. So the next one is an example of something that has changed for you over the years. So it's looking for a training where you are given some sequences, set sequences to teach right away or to fall back on if you're not ready to go out there and teach your own new sequences right off the bat. When I first started teaching 200-hour trainings, I was kind of against this idea of set sequences. I didn't really want to just hand out sequences and be like, okay, everybody, I want you to memorize this and teach this. Because I wanted students to really understand the art and craft and the the intellectual and the personal expression of sequencing. Like, I think that as a yoga teacher, the thing that I, the single thing I enjoy most is sequencing, right? And so I feel like I was a little bit stubborn on this subject. And I, and I taught a lot of the, the soft subtlety of sequencing without enough of the nuts and bolts sequencing. And one of the things that I just started to reflect on when I was early in my career teaching sequencing is that as a yoga teacher myself, I didn't have to sequence for my first two years of teaching yoga. I got to teach the primary series of Ashtanga Yoga for the first two years. And what I, what I kind of realized, what dawned on me is how helpful it was for me as a yoga teacher to not have to sequence too early in my teaching career. Because it's, 
it can, it's a lot. It's overwhelming. There's so much to deal with when you first walk in the room as it is like you're dealing with your nerves, you're dealing with your projection of your voice, you're dealing with talking enough, but not talking too much. You're hearing your own verbal tics for the first time. You're dealing with looking at people with a range of, of different body, you know, capabilities or needs so, yeah, I think it makes sense to me to have that part wrapped up, at least in the beginning. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. And you said it better than I could. It can be very overwhelming to teach. And like you're saying, there's so many components to it that if I'm having to do all of what you just said while figure out what's next mm-hmm. and deal with my own insecurities while trying to figure out what's next. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I've really, I mean, all of my trainings have, every year I teach something, it evolves, it changes. But I would say this is the thing that I have really become, sequencing is the thing I've become more basic with in my foundational training. And I think by going more basic, it's better. It's, It's better for the population to understand like, Hey, here are the concepts of sequencing. This is why we do this. This is why we do that. This is why we avoid this. This is why we avoid that. And here are five set sequences for you to learn and grow and memorize. The other thing is that taking this a step back to where we just were as practice teaching, when you know the whole time that you're practice teaching in a training, that you are also practice teaching the sequences that you're going to ultimately pieces that you're ultimately going to do. It just all ties together. It makes this a much more practical experience. And I keep thinking about this idea of connecting the dots and curating all of the different components of a training so that they, so that they actually fit together. I think this is what I'm much better at seeing the importance of with having more experience in this role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, we're getting, we're winding down here. So the penultimate idea is to look for something where you get a broad education that also includes a specific focus. So what do you mean by that? So this is something that I've, I've really only in the last year or so come to the realization. So, okay, when you do a yoga teacher training program, pretty much any training is going to be teaching you to be a generalist because the vast majority of classes that we teach as yoga teachers are going to be open levels. They're going to be mixed levels. They might be vinyasa, they might be hatha, they might, but even vinyasa and hatha, right? These are very, these are big tent, big umbrella approaches to yoga. So it might be a little bit different if you're doing specifically an Ashtanga training or a yin training or a restorative training where you have a little bit more of a narrow focus. But the vast majority of teacher trainings that you're going to do, there's like, you're being taught to deal with, to work with a very broad, diverse population of students in a very mixed and open levels class. And I think that that's really good. But I also think that's the most overwhelming thing to teach. The, the most challenging thing to teach is something that has few parameters. And when you have people of remarkably different skills and experiences coming to class. And so what I mean by this is a broad education 
So, so a broad education that allows you to do what I just spoke, spoke on, but that also includes a specific focus. So you can almost think about this as a subspecialty. So what I realized was I wanted the 200-hour training that I taught to kind of have a subspecialty. So we would do all of the general stuff, and then we would go much deeper on a specific population. And, and I'll give this as an example, um, but the concept was I want you as the student of the training to have a broad exposure, but I want you to feel like there's one community or one style that you have that much more comfort working with. And that's where you can try to start doing a little bit more. And so for me, it was beginners, right? Um, and so the teaching beginners training that I do is actually built into the 200-hour training because I just realized that if you have 20 extra hours in your 200-hour training that is all about teaching a specific population, then you're going to feel that much more informed and comfortable teaching that population and that can really give you a place to start. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, it was teaching beginners. And I even went so far as to creating a four-week curriculum for graduates to teach beginners. And a lot of my 200-hour graduates do this. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. start off with those things. And it it just really gives them legs. And it, it wouldn't, for me, it's beginners. I can see another scenario where there's a, a small subspecialty in you know, general yoga, but also a little yin. General yoga, yeah. but also restorative. Mm -hmm. General, But th I think there's got to be something where you feel a little bit more niched down into and a little bit more like, oh, okay, I'm going to start teaching more with this in this pocket. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I can also see restorative or yin specifically working well for that. So yeah, you have time and those you have time mm -hmm. to just kind of as a teacher, just settle in and see mm -hmm. there's not as much rushing from place to place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one I, I think is potentially the most important, <laughs> which is a teacher that can hold space so that you can gain life skills. Yeah. You know, this one's such an interesting one for me because for so long, I mostly see my role as an educator, as a yoga teacher, to teach yoga, right? And I, and, I, and I don't see my primary role as being like a paragon of the community or being a, uh, being a role model. Like, I just want to be a good yoga teacher. But I also understand that the practical reality of being a student of yoga and a student of yoga in the yoga tradition is that you're going to go through some stuff. And you're probably going to, you know, people arrive in, in, in yoga and yoga classes and trainings for various reasons, but we know that when we do yoga practices and trainings, we're not just learning some externalized subject matter. We're, we're working deeply into ourselves. And I'm not a therapist. I don't want to be a therapist. That's not my role. That's kind of where we have this written out, like hold space for you to gain life skills. So for me, I think, I think that we, that we want to go into a training with, uh, with teachers that, that we perceive to have, um, a certain amount of stability and life wisdom and like mental and emotional comport 
so that we can just we can go through our process and that they can uh, they can be understanding and supportive and encouraging of us. I, I think this is the place where having a teacher with some emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we don't always know. You know what I mean? We don't always know. But in and look, I do. I think that I was good at teaching yoga in my twenties. Yes, I was. I think I could teach a lot in my twenties. But man, now that I'm just around the corner from five zero, <laughs> I just have so much more uh, life wisdom and skillfulness and skillfulness of being like a person, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> being like a person. <laughs> and again, I, I'm not anyone's therapist, right? And I'm only one person's parent. But I, but I just see like this is a place I think it's important that whatever we're selecting into as a yoga student, we're selecting, look, take classes from whoever teaches a good class and you enjoy. But but when you're going to this level, I think you really want to make sure there's some uh, emotional bandwidth um, and some, um, uh, some, some real stability there. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, I think that was a really complete and thorough overview. And I, I hope it is helpful for those of you listening out there. So thanks so much, Jason. My pleasure. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, you can sign up for the webinar at jasonyoga.com slash webinar. You can get on the waitlist for the 200 hour by going to jasonyoga.com slash 200. And then the last quick announcement I have is that I am doing one more book for my book club the Yoga Land Book Club this year. And that book I've just announced is Wild Asana by Allison Zach. Allison will be a guest on next week podca- next week's podcast. Oh my gosh, you're going to love her. You're going to love the book. So go sign up for the book club. Go get the book. You can go to yogaland.substack.com to sign up. You do have to enter your email. You can choose to be a paid or a free participant. Either way, I just would love to see you there. Okay, everyone, until next week, enjoy your practice.